0: Well, good morning. My name is Aubrey, and I am um, the senior pastor here at the Church of the Incarnation. And if I don't know you or we haven't met, uh, hopefully one day we can in much more uh, joyful kind of ways and circumstances. If you have a Bible, please find it and uh, find James chapter 1, verse 12 through 18, Our scripture reading for this morning that Sam had for us just a few minutes ago. James chapter 1 verses 12 to 18. Now, in order to hear God's message to us through this passage, we have to back up. And we have to take a long running start. And we have to remember something. We have to remember what James's main idea is for the book of James. The main message of James is this, becoming mature. That's his goal. That's what he's going on about in this book. Notice verse 4, James chapter 1, verse 4. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's the theme of the book. The purpose of this book is that the people reading it, Christians, would become mature. He calls that a lot of different things in the book. Here at the beginning, he calls it perfect. He calls it uh, complete, lacking in nothing. Now, what does this look like? If you sit down and read the book of James over and over and over, you'll begin to get an idea. You'll begin to get the picture of what it looks like to be a whole person, a complete person, a person who's not lacking in anything. And one of the things you begin to notice is that James thinks about people in a very specific way. He thinks that people have four primary aspects, four primary parts, four dimensions to what it means to be a human. And and ultimately what he thinks about being a human is that it means to have a relationship. Four relationships. A relationship with your creator, a relationship with yourself. He does a lot of psychology in the book talking about stuff going on inside of you. A relationship with other people. He talks a lot about how humans interact with each other. And a relationship with the creation, the earth, this world that God has made. So James thinks that to be a whole person, it means you're healthy in all of those relationships. It means you're healthy in your relationship with God. You're healthy in your relationship with other people. And you're healthy in your own inner life, in your relationship to yourself. And you're healthy in your relationship to the earth, to the creation. And so for James, that's why he uses the phrase complete, lacking in nothing. He means a mature person isn't somebody who's just really good at ecology, but really crappy at getting along with people. A healthy person, a whole person, is not somebody who's really good at getting along, but they abuse the earth. No, he says, you've got all four of these relationships down. You're good at all four of these. But here's the fundamental problem for James and for the entire Bible. All of us have brokenness. We're twisted in all four of those relationships. In one way or the other... The Bible teaches us that the ultimate human problem is sin. And sin, one way to think about it in the Bible, is the twisting of your relationship with God. The the distortion that occurs between you and other people on your worst day. And even on your best day. The twisting that occurs in your relationship with creation. and, And the way that we're all alienated in some ways from ourselves. So what James is showing us, though, in this book is that you don't have to settle for that. You can become a whole person. You can grow up. You don't have to stay immature. You don't have to stay broken in your relationship with God, self, others, and creation. And so for James, in this book, he comes back to this over and over and over in lots of different ways. And he paints a picture of what it looks like to be restored to God. That human beings were originally and ultimately made for God. You were made by God for God. That God is your original desire and your deepest pleasure and your truest home. And yet because of sin, you are estranged from him. And this estrangement is the sorrow at the heart of all of your sorrows. But the Bible teaches that because of his great love for us, God came to us. In Jesus Christ and he did this so that we might be restored to our creator made right with him United to him by his grace and it's through the crucifixion of Jesus that that happens You might not understand that it'll take a lifetime to think about it But it's Jesus's crucifixion that clears the way for you to be restored to God and through faith Everyone who has become an enemy of God, an exile from his kingdom, can become a child of God, friends of the very king of heaven. And James, this is for James, one part of maturity and completeness and wholeness and lacking nothing. The other part is that in Christianity, we can be restored to ourselves. At creation, humanity was graced with the glorious dignity of bearing the image of God. And at the fall, this image in us was diminished and obscured by sin. But through the crucifixion and through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be united with Jesus Christ. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of his spirit, all of us who trust in him can be restored again to ourselves. And to the glory of the image of Christ. And as we are united to Christ by faith. We can experience the renewal of our minds. The reordering of our affections. The reshaping of our habits. And the redirecting of our vocations. Number three. When you read through the book of James, he doesn't only bang on about our relationship with God and our relationship with ourselves. Over and over again, he paints pictures of what it looks like to be restored to other people. In creation, God declared it is not good for human beings to be alone. That's not a good thing. That we were somehow not fully ourselves Until we are ourselves with others. And yet at the fall, human relationships begin to disintegrate. You see that in our passage from Genesis chapter 3. The last thing it says before they sin is they were naked and unashamed. After sin, the first thing they say is she did it. She made me do it. He made me do it. And they're hiding and they're covering themselves. And you see their relationship is disintegrating. At the fall, human relationships began to disintegrate, collapsing into the misery of loneliness. In Jesus, loneliness can be healed. This is because all who trust in Jesus are joined, really, really joined, not only to Christ himself, but to one another as members of the church. And this is a fundamental reason we have got to find a way to come back to worship, even if it's incomplete, even if we don't get to do all the things we love. It's because it is in the church, not in your family. Not in your apartment complex, not in your club, not in your sorority, not in your fraternity, not in the social justice organization you're a part of. It is in the church, the Christ-shaped community of love, that we learn the school of love. It's in the church that we experience forgiveness and are reconciled to each other, and we learn to love each other and to love our enemies, and we are restored to one another. Number four, in Christianity... James shows us we are not only restored to God, we're not only restored to ourselves, but over and over in the book, we're restored to the world itself, the earth, this physical place where we live. You see, this physical world, the earth matters deeply to God. Before humans ever showed up, God said six times how good it is, how beautiful it is, how much he loves it. It matters to God. In the very first chapter of the Bible, before you get to any high theology about Jesus Christ, what you're told over and over and over is how much God loves the earth. How good it is to him. How much it matters to him. And twice, he looks at humans and says, your job is to care for the earth and to nurture it. And to multiply its glories. God's intention for our physical world is not to be untouched by human hands. That is not his intention. His intention for our world is for us humans to give this world an endless future of creative care. And yet because of sin, that's not what we do to this earth. Because of sin, in spite of its overwhelming beauty... This earth has become a place of futility and exploitation. But in Jesus, the physical damage caused by sin to the earth, this, that is so clearly evident in the world we live in. In Jesus, the physical ravages of sin will be washed away from the earth. When you read the Old Testament, for example, the prophets Who anticipate Jesus. They talk about the Messiah coming. Who will be a sacrifice for our sins. And our renewal and our healing. But they also always over and over. Talk about the Messiah who will come. And be a sacrifice for the healing of the deserts. And the fruitfulness of the fields. And the joy of the trees. Sometime when you get a chance. Read Ezekiel 47. It's a better manifesto for ecology than any ecological manifesto. Read Revelation chapter 22 and read the Gospels and pay attention that Jesus' ministry was deeply marked not only by words of spiritual forgiveness, but physical restorations also. He not only cared about your sin, he cared about your body, and he cared about nature. He said to a storm, quit. Quit. Be at peace. He said to wind and waves. You weren't the same words that he said to humans. Peace. This is his work. His work is not only for you and your soul. His work is for nature itself. And those miracles of Jesus that were physical. They weren't just signs of deep spiritual truths. No, they were foretastes of God healing the physical creation. And so because of this, being a whole person who's lacking in nothing means you can't be Republican or Democrat. I've just pushed on various buttons in each of their policies. To be whole is to rise up above that and to see that the kingdom of God affirms the the best in the Democrat party. And condemns the evil. And it affirms the best in the Republican Party and condemns the evil. It it affirms the best in Americans and condemns the evil. And it affirms the best in the Sudanese and condemns the evil. The kingdom of God is kind of stretches out above all of this. It critiques and affirms in all of these places. Being a mature person, a whole person, a person healed and restored to your full potential. This means that you are restored to God, to others, to yourself, and to creation. That's the driving theme of the book. The whole book is about becoming that kind of person. Now, in the very first paragraph, he says the key to becoming that kind of person is how you deal with suffering. That was, so he starts out by saying the goal is maturity and the, the key to maturity is learning to deal with difficult times and sufferings and trials in a particular kind of way. There is no route to maturity apart from suffering. And then we get to our passage this morning. And when we look at our passage this morning, James chapter 1, verses 12 to 18, we see that in order to grow up and to be really human, wholly human, lacking in nothing, fully yourself, to do that, we have to hold the faith through our suffering. And you need two things for that to happen. Less confidence in yourself and more confidence in Jesus. That's what he says in this paragraph. That's what he says in James chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. He says, look, if you're going to hold the faith through suffering, you need to trust yourself less, and you need to trust Jesus more. So let's look at those two. Verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So tough times happen to us all. And if we are steadfast in the faith, if we stay loyal to Jesus when we suffer, if we hold on to him, he says, you'll receive the crown of life. That's just him using another metaphor for everything I was just talking about. Restore to God, restore to others, restore to yourself, restore to creation. You, he's saying here, you could translate that, you will be crowned with life. Life will flow out of you. Life will flow into you. With, with nature, you are life-giving to this earth, not exploitative. With friends, you give life, you don't kill and drain and break. With yourself, it's life, not brokenness and fragmentation. So this is just another metaphor for him saying that same thing. So once again, we see that the key to becoming mature is hanging in there. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast. You stay loyal to Jesus under trials. Physical suffering. Can't pay the bills suffering. Want a relationship with somebody, but they won't give it to you. And you're deeply lonely suffering. The list goes on and on. The key issue is whatever you're suffering, to stay loyal, devoted, to keep loving Jesus. And if you do, through that suffering, you will become a well of life. And then in verses 13 through 15, he says, if you're going to hang in there during suffering, trust yourself a lot less than you have been trusting yourself. Look at verse 13. Let no one say when he's tested, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. And when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. He's saying, stop trusting your desires. He's trying to undermine your commitment to your own inner desires. You see, here's how it works. For some of us, suffering brings temptation depression, rejection, not being able to pay the bills, loneliness. You name the suffering. For some of us, it brings temptation to cheat, to steal to be sexually immoral, to lash out in anger. And we excuse our bad mood, our, our sin by saying, well, I'm, I'm in a bad mood. I'm, like somehow the suffering makes it okay that I gave in to the temptation to do a bad thing, to be rude or to be selfish. Suffering brings temptation. For others of us, temptation is the suffering. A persistent temptation to lose your temper. And you're fighting it, and you're fighting it, and you're fighting it, and it's wearing you out. A persistent temptation to cheat on your taxes because you so fundamentally disagree with the government taking your money. This temptation to look at pornography. For some of us, temptation is the suffering. But either way, whether suffering brings temptation or temptation is the suffering, don't be deceived. When you are tempted, God is not the problem. It's your desires that are the problem. That's what James is saying here. And this is something that God teaches throughout the scripture. And it's something that we see on on display in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. They look at the fruit. They desire the fruit. The desire grows in them. They commit a sin. That sin grows. One son kills the other. They die. It produces death. And this is something that, that the Bible teaches over and over. Don't trust your desires. And this is something that our society teaches the opposite over and over. The the hero journey of our favorite movies from Disney to Miramax is be true to yourself. Look in. Dig deep. Our society defines sin as betrayal of self. The Bible defines sin as choosing self. Over and over, our heroes in the climactic moment of our best movies dig deep and honor themselves and they rise from victimhood to advocacy to assertion but in the bible when push comes to shove that is sin and becoming a whole person is not self-assertion it's self-denial what I'm talking about is how we look at our inner desires. The Bible's clear. You need to be skeptical. They lead to sin, not to health. Now this idea, this is hard for us because your teachers are constantly asking you at school, what do you want to do? Uh, The stories we sing, the songs we sing, they're constantly telling us that the desire is the path Life, And the Bible trains us over and over through better stories, truer stories, that that leads to death. That, that, that when, you, when you don't filter your desires through the Bible, you end up picking a desire that will not give birth to life. It will give birth to self-destruction. And so when you are tempted, the most important thing is to trust God more than yourself. God is not your enemy when you're tempted. The right way might be the hardest way, but it is not God against you. It is God for you. Temptation to sin is serious. Notice verse 12. If you will resist it. If you will persevere and resist temptation, that pathway you get on will birth life inside of you. If we give in to sin, sin will grow to maturity. And that is self-destruction. So I'm saying to you, church, and to me, please stop sinning. It's death. And here's the trick. Sin... Can take a long time before it gives birth to death. And that's what we give it, that's what we get deceived. (laughs) We get away with it long enough. Right? The dude looks at pornography, and nothing bad happens. The woman, I don't know, I'm in danger now of stereotyping sins. Uh, You pick your favorite stereotype sin for a woman and just fill in the blank there. You get away with it long enough that you forget it's a thing that grows and its growth gives birth to death. And and that deceives you. You get away with it long enough, but sin leads to self-destruction. And when God's ways are hard to believe, hard to accept, hard to follow, hard to understand, you should still trust that Jesus is always the smartest person in the room. And his way is always the best way that leads to life. And this brings us to the next point. Remember, in order to grow up and really be human, fully human, fully yourself, no longer to be missing something to do that, we have to hold the faith through our suffering. And in James chapter 1, verses 12 to 18, he's showing us to hold the faith in suffering, you have to trust yourself less and trust Jesus more. Look at verse, this, this happens in verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Don't be deceived about how untrustworthy your desires are. And also don't be deceived about what he's about to say next, how good God is. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. This is a hard passage. But what he's saying is that to grow mature, you have to retrain yourself to distrust your desires and to trust Jesus. To look at your trials, at your suffering as an opportunity to become mature. And you do that by trusting God and letting trust shape your entire relationship to God. Are you going to trust him when he says that this thing you're tempted by is bad for you? Will you trust him when he says that? Or will you trust your desires when they say, no, this is good for you? Where does your trust lie? Where does your loyalty lie? If you want to become mature, don't be double-minded. Stop saying you believe in God but living like you don't live like you trust in God and trust happens when he says something you disagree with when he says something that doesn't line up with your own instincts and intuitions in that moment the act of trust is to say Jesus not me live like you trust God respond to God's love with your whole heart and your single-minded devotion and loyalty why because God is not your enemy It's your desires that are your enemy. God is your friend. Who is the God who stands with us in our trials? He is the God who gave his own son to die on the cross because he loves us so much. Who is the God who stands with us in our trials? He is the God who will give wisdom to us if we just ask for it. He'll be generous. He won't pick on us. He won't lecture us. Who is the God who stands with us in our trials? He's Jesus. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He would die for you. He would give everything there is to give for you. Can we trust him in our time of need? Absolutely. You can trust him in your time of need. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. Every temptation that comes upon you is normal for human beings. So stop thinking when you're tempted, oh this is a really big deal. Nobody's ever gone through this before. Poor me. Look what I'm being tempted by. Nobody can understand this. No, the Bible says A little less American exceptionalism, please. Every temptation that comes upon you is normal for human beings. Listen. But God is faithful he will not let you be t- tested beyond your ability. Along with the testing, it will provide the way of escape so you can bear it. I wish I could find the Sunday school teacher who made me memorize this verse. Because it has helped me so much. You see, one of the deceits is that in the time of temptation, you can't resist. You have to give in. That you are a product Of the nurture or the nature that dominates your life. And there is no way out. And that's a lie. The Bible says God is always faithful. He will always provide a way out. That's a promise that I'm so grateful for. Because one of the things that happens is that we forget that. We don't believe that. We think we have to give in. We think that we can't. We need to be less confident in ourselves and less intimidated by our desires and much more confident in Jesus. He will always provide a way out. When you're deeply tempted, remember three things, always three things. God is never the cause of what he hates. If you're being tempted, don't excuse it as, well, God put me here. No. No. God is never the cause of the things he hates. Number two, God will never let you be tempted beyond what you're capable of handling. And number three, God will always provide an escape route. You can trust Jesus in your time of trial and temptation. He will be there. And when you're experiencing a temptation to something that God tells us in Scripture is a sin, you can trust him that it's death, even if it's cloaked in sugar. All right, now let's wrap this up by quickly noticing the beginning and the end of, the cha- of this passage. First, the end, verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What we see here is that God is just getting started with this universe. This universe is like 13 14 billion years old. Humans have been around for some thousands of years. He's just getting started. The church has been here for a couple of thousand years. He's just getting started. The church, with all of its amazing acts of prison reform, and public education, and public access to health care, and sacrificially laying its lives down for its enemies, all of the beautiful work of the church is the first fruits. What it means by first fruits is there's more to come. What God has done in your life to forgive you and to heal you and to restore you to others and to restore you to creation and to yourself, there is more to come. One day, notice it says the first fruits of His creatures, creation. One day, God's word is going to do for the forest what he's done for your heart. One day, God's word is going to do for the deep structures of the earth that are being damaged by our our exploitive access to these resources. One day, he's going to heal that in the way that he's healed many of you. One day, God's word will transform the whole creation, filling heaven and earth with his rich, wonderful light and life, and our lives transformed by the gospel, learning to look at the world differently, standing firm against temptation. That's just the start of that larger project. And that brings us back to the beginning. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Hold on. Resist temptation. If you've developed the habit of giving in to some sin, quit it. Stop. Repent of it. Resist temptation. Pick back up. Stay loyal to God. Because if you do, he will reward you. Do it for the reward. What will he reward you with? You'll get to be a part of this whole world. The entire cosmos renewed. When temptations are overwhelming, think about heaven's rewards. That's what the church has done for centuries. That's what we see the slaves in America doing when the temptation and the suffering was so intense. They sung their belief in the rewards of heaven. It has saved people from sin in the past. It can save you now. Learn to shamelessly labor for, work for, live for, and look for the reward, the crown of life, and use that as your goal to resist temptation. Let's pray.